0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. We are continuing in the series called Little by Little, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And uh, really, we've been talking about relationships uh, last week and this week. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to, that's all we're talking about. It's just relationships. And um, uh, it's interesting because Paul starts this whole relationship talk off by saying that as followers of Jesus, as believers, we are to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so we are, in in all of our relationships, that's how we are to act around one another. And um, what's interesting is that he's given us some application when it comes to our responsibilities and how we are to be in our relationships. And so last week, we talked about how we are to submit to one another in the husband-wife relationship, how husbands you are to submit and wives you are to submit. And so we talked about how we are to do that. Today, we're going to be talking about the parent-child relationship and uh, how, what are our roles and our responsibilities when it comes to that relationship. In fact, the title of today's message is called God's Design for the Family. And uh, I, I was reminded as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of something I read a long time ago. And, and it was a question that former President George Bush was asked. And it's a very interesting question. And the question was, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? Now, I'll tell you why that's an interesting question. Because he lived a very interesting life. If you know anything about him, you know the kind of life he lived. He served in the military, was a Navy pilot. In World War II, he got shot down, and uh, his crew didn't survive. He was the only survivor. He survived on a life raft for about four hours before he was rescued later on, he became the ambassador to China. He uh, was the director for the CIA for a year. Uh, He also was vice president and president. And those are just some of his professional accomplishments. He then later uh, would also, his kids would follow in his footsteps. Uh, They had a a governor of Florida. His son was governor of Florida, governor of Texas. In fact, that governor of Texas, George W. Bush, would later become president. And so when he's asked this question, it's a very interesting question because you'd expect him to rattle off one of those things. You'd expect him to say, well, it's, I'm really proud of my administration and what we were able to accomplish, or I'm proud of this policy or that thing or this thing over here. But he doesn't say any of that. In fact, the answer to his question, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? He says that my children still come home to see me. I think that's a great answer to it. I read that years ago and I told Jen, that's my life goal, that my children still want to come home and see me. I'll pay for everything. That's fine. Like they can still do it. I'll be a good hang. But that I want, to, I want my kids to still come home and see me. In fact, I read a quote this week, too, that I feel like summarizes all of this. And it says, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. Here's what that means. You could be successful in every arena of your life. You could be the president, a vice president. You could be the best in the military. You could be the best business person in the world. And it will not make up for, and it will not compensate for failure in the home. September 21st, 2011 was the day that forever changed my life. It was, a forever, it was the day that forever changed Jen's life. We would never be the same parents again. It was the day that we became mom and dad for the very first time. In fact, I brought a picture of Brody when he was born. You probably have heard me talk about him before. But there he is, a preemie baby, the smallest thing, born six weeks early. And uh, he had to stay a week in the NICU hospital. But uh, that's, that was Brody. That was a day that forever changed our life. And then two years later, we did it again. And we had Asher, our uh, second son. And Asher is the happiest baby, the biggest baby we've had, and uh, the most joyful child I've ever met in my life. And that was a day I was like, ah, everything is complete. Everything is perfect. We've got two boys. This is great. We don't need anything else. We're good. We're content in life. And then two years later, we did it again. And here came Dawson, my youngest child. And I love that picture of all of them because that's Asher. He's always got to have his hands on his brother. Brody's always ready for the picture. And we don't know what Dawson's doing. And that summarizes his life. We don't know what he's doing with his life. And so... Um, but we haven't done it since. And let me tell you, it's been good. Uh, It's a good season of life. We haven't had any more kids, and and I'm enjoying it because now they're all off at school, and I get a day to where I don't have to separate fights or do anything else. I can have peace and quiet while they're at school, and it's a great relaxing time for me, and I enjoy the season of life. I've enjoyed every season of life, in fact. You know, Jen and I, we've talked about how we want to cherish and appreciate every season of life and really just soak it all in or even squeeze all of the joy, all of sorrow, all the frustrations that we can in that season of life, because we're never going to go through it again. And we love those boys. They are challenging. They are, they're always wrestling. They're always fighting. They're always eating. They're never really sleeping. They're all over the place. They're sweaty. They're gross. They're smelly. And we wouldn't have it any other way. In fact, this week I read a verse that really just reminds me of my boys. And it says in Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. Some parents were like, that's not today. I'm not saying amen to that today. <laughs> but it goes on to say that they are a reward for, uh, from him. So your kids are a reward. They are a gift from the Lord. And we should want to do everything we possibly can to point our kids back to Jesus. And so we as parents need to take this role of parenting very seriously. We need to fulfill the roles that God has called us to as parents by understanding and pursuing God's design for the family. And So that's really where we're going to be going today, what we're going to be talking about. We're going to see what is God's design for the family. What is the children's role in the family? What's the parent's role in the family? And how are we all to interact? How are we to pursue God's design for the family? And so we're going to start reading. Four verses. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents, you can say amen right there. It's a good place to say it. (laughs) Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In these four short verses, I see three things that we can talk about when it comes to God's design for the family. And the first one is this. Children love God by obeying their parents. Children, your role is that as you obey your parents, you are actually loving God. And right off the bat, what we're seeing here is that Paul is quoting one of the Ten Commandments. And it's the fifth commandment, and it's children, obey your parents. And Paul probably heard the collective groaning of everybody everywhere going, Why, Paul? Why do we have to do this? And I love the answer that he gives in verse 1. He says, Because it's right. Just do it. That's all you need to know. Do it because it's right. Sort of like when your parents would ask you to do something, and you go, Why? And what's that classic answer that they always had in the back of their pocket? because I said so. There you go, right? And still you would go, why? Why do I have to do it? Your parents might go, "You listen, I know you don't understand why, but you just got to trust me. And one day you will understand why. And at first, when we're reading that verse, it may sound like this is blind obedience, but it's actually not blind obedience. God is commanding us to do this because it's life-giving. And we're going to see in just a few moments just how life-giving it is. But not only is it life-giving, it's honoring him. And that's enough reason for us to need to obey. Listen, in all of our lives, whether we're children or adults, we are to honor God. And any time that we're, call- we're called to obey a command, we honor God when we obey that command. Children are to love God by obeying their parents. Now, let me clear up some confusion on maybe what that word children means, because the, chil- the word children doesn't just mean little kids. It doesn't just cap off at a certain age. The word children refers to anyone living in their parents' house. So in this passage, Paul is using a very broad term that applies to adult children as well as young children. So here's what this means. The influence and training of parents toward their children continues all throughout their life. And so in a room like this, people watching online, there's a bunch of children here. You had parents. And so this applies to all of us. Children, all of us, we are to obey our parents. Now, I know that with the command, obey your parents, it can maybe make us feel a little uncomfortable at first because we want to ask, well, isn't this dangerous? I mean, what if the parent is abusive or controlling or selfish? And that's a very valid question. It was a question that Paul was addressing and was very well aware of. In fact, Paul anticipates that there will not be good parents, great parents. And so that's why he's writing this. That's why he says children should obey their parents in the Lord. In the Lord is translated to mean within the Lord. Or as long as it's keeping with the Lord. And that's very important for us to take note of. Because listen, if a parent is being abusive or led by sinful tendencies, that is outside of the Lord. That is outside what God is wanting for the home and what he wants for the parents. So Paul isn't just saying, hey, kids, silently suffer under abusive, sinful, harmful behaviors. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that when your parents' wishes, line up with God's word. If your parents are parenting you with the truth of God's word, when they are being led by the only truth that we have in this world, and that is God's word, then children, you are to obey your parents. Parents, use the authority that God has given you to bring your children to maturity. And listen, when you do that, your children are to obey, and the long-term effect is that they are going to honor you children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's right. Do it in the Lord, and here's the promise. This is where it's life-giving. Verse 3, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Gives you a better quality of life, and you're going to live longer on this earth. Now listen, to everyone who's still living at home, you're under your parents' guidance, guess what? You are not as smart as you like to think you are. (laughs) It's where the parents can say amen right there. It's okay. You can say it. You're not as smart as you think you are. You need your parents. You need their help. Your parents are trying to keep you from developing bad habits because they've seen the outcome of some of those bad habits. The reality is when your parents tell you not to do something, it's not because they're trying to ruin your life or destroy your life or make your life as miserable as they possibly can. When they tell you don't do certain things, they know the bad habits. They know the consequences. They know where it can lead. Why? Because they've probably done it themselves. They've probably had friends do it, and they know where it leads. And they listen, as parents, we want our kids to be so much further along in life than we ever were. And so your parents are trying to protect you and and trying to let you get a little bit further on. You know, when you bring home that boyfriend or girlfriend, or you bring home that friend, and your parents are like, well, I don't know about that person. (laughs) I don't know that they're that good for you. They're not trying to be a killjoy They're not trying to make sure you never have friends in your life. They can discern good ones and bad ones. Listen, all the time, Brody will come home and he'll tell me something going on in school, something with his friends, and I'll say, you better watch out because this will happen if they do that. And believe it or not, he comes home and he goes, you wouldn't believe what happened the other day. (laughs) And his mind is just blown. How does dad know everything? You know why? Because uh, the author of Ecclesiastes says there is nothing new under the sun. There's no attitudes, there's no behaviors, there's nothing new. And listen, the guy, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, he was the richest man, the wisest man. He did everything, and anything you try to do is junior varsity to his level of living life. And so what he's just saying, basically, is that there's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity, and your parents understand that. They know that because they've experienced some junior varsity version of what you're trying to do right now. And they're trying to keep you from it. They're trying to protect you from it. In fact, they're trying to help you live out Proverbs uh, 10. It says, fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Your parents are trying to help you live long on this earth and have a good quality of life. Now to all the teenagers, middle schoolers, elementary kids here today, I know for you it's hard to understand this. You know, as for those of us who were once kids, It's hard for us to understand that as well. I mean, growing up, the anthem of my life was Will Smith's um, parents just don't understand, right? Like that was the anthem of my life. And I'd be like, he knows it, he gets it. My parents don't, you know? And the reality is you've come here today with your parents, you've come to church and your parents are gonna tell you to do things and tell you not to do things. And sometimes it's not gonna make any sense to you. And you're gonna go, why? I don't get this. But all I'm gonna say is one day, You're going to move out. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. And guess what? They're going to be just like you. (laughs) And when you have those kids, they're going to say and do things, and and they're going to treat you a certain way, and you're going to go, where did they learn that? They learned it from you. And then you're going to say and do things that you vowed you would never say and do. You're going to say things like, I didn't have it that easy when I was your age. And you're going to go, where did that come from? You know? I just said it the other week. My boys were on Disney Plus, and they're looking for their show, and they're like, I can't find the show. I can't find the episode. I was like, do you even understand how easy you have it? I had to deal with so many bad episodes of Saved by the Bell or so many bad episodes of all of this stuff just to get to the good ones. I had to plan my life around uh, Nickelodeon's uh, All That and all that other stuff, you know? like I had to plan my life around those kinds of things. And here you just flippantly choose what you want. You don't know how easy you have it. Kids say, hey, can I have 20 bucks? You got to go, what do I look like, an ATM? Money grow on trees? You're like, why am I saying that right now? Kids are crying. Stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. And you're like, why am I saying these things? When you're young, it's not hard to obey your parents. It's like they know everything. But as you get older, they seem to be more and more out of touch. The rules and standards seem to make less sense to you. But you have to know this. You have to realize this, that your parents are looking out for your good and for your safety. In fact, I read something this week that I think shows the attitude of changing, of kids' attitude changing towards their parents. And it's about a boy and his dad, but it could be about a daughter and the mom or a daughter and her son, whatever it is. But it says this, at four years old, the child says, my daddy can do anything. At seven years old, he says, my daddy knows a whole lot. At eight years old, he says, my dad doesn't know everything. At 14 years old, that man is out of date. (laughs) At 25 years old, dad knows a little bit about that, but not too much. (laughs) At 30 years old, I need to figure out what dad thinks about that. At 35, before we decide, let's get dad's ideas first. At 50, what would dad have thought about that? And at 60, my dad literally knew everything. Listen, your mom and dad, they haven't changed. They're telling the same jokes. They're acting the same way. The only person who changed is you. There's just going to be a time, though, that you're going to see things differently. You're going to see what things look like from their position. Your parents are looking out for your good and for your safety. And so children love God by obeying their parents in the Lord and because it's right. And when you do those things, you will have a good quality of life and you will live long on the earth. Here's the second thing. Parents love God by not angering their kids. Parents, you love God by not provoking, as the text says, or angering your kids. Verse 4, it says fathers, but it could be translated mothers, parents, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what are we to do as Christian moms and dads? Well, Paul starts with the negative, says something that we're not supposed to do. He says, do not, under any circumstance, do not provoke your children to anger. Some of you are like, whoops. (laughs) they're mad at me right now at church. Like they're not too happy with me. Listen, Paul's not saying don't ever get your kids angry because as a parent, are you going to make your kids angry? Yes. And if you are making your kids angry, you better check your parenting for a minute. But what does it mean to not provoke? Well, to understand what this means, we have to understand when Paul is writing this. And Paul is writing this to a group of people where fathers had absolute control and absolute power over the family. And sometimes they were harsh towards their kids. Listen, fathers would just sell their kids into slavery. Fathers could kill their kids and no one would bat an eye. No one would question them on it. They would not even be tried for murder because people would just look at them and go, well, they must have had a good reason for it. Kids would be abandoned and left in a city. Fathers had absolute control, absolute power in the family. And so now that you know the background a little bit, you can see the fear-driven environment that existed in most households when Paul is writing this. You can imagine the terrifying power that existed, the emotional, the verbal, the physical abuse that would have existed in the household. And listen, it was all unchecked. And it was into that environment that Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children, to anger. Do not intimidate them. Do not make them walk in fear around you. Do not play emotional games with them. That's who Paul was writing to, but Paul might as well have been writing to us in 2021, right? Because you hear me describing some of those things, and you're like, yep, that's the household I grew up in. That describes my household. Intimidation. Walking around eggshells around my parents. Fear. Fear provoking would describe your childhood home or maybe you're here today and you by the power of the holy spirit you're feeling a little convicted because you're here today and you realize that's the type of environment you're creating in your home emotional games fear provoking parents you must be fair loving and consistent in your attitude toward your children Parents, you need to love God by not provoking, not angering your kids. And so what are some ways that we could provoke our kids? Well, one way is to show favoritism, favoring one child over another. It's by saying things, well, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be as smart as your sister? We need to recognize that each child is a gift from God. Each one has a unique but different relationship or a different um, background and and different um, abilities. Each one is unique and a gift from the Lord. Don't favor one or another. You might have grown up in a household where your household, there was favorites in the cycle. Stop favoring one child over another. Celebrate how unique they are. Celebrate their differences. Highlight those things. Another way we can provoke our kids to anger is by neglecting them to not make time for them, be too busy for them. The reality is the holidays are coming up. It's about to get into overdrive right now, like the, before you know it, the end of the year is going to be here. But even not the fact you take the holidays out of it. We're busy. We live in a day and age where everything's now, now, now. You've got to go. And so we could tend to be too busy pursuing our own things and doing our own things that we neglect our kids. Spend time with them. Be intentional. Get around the dinner room table with them. You know, hang out with them. Spend one-on-one time with them. Be intentional with your kids. Another way you can provoke them to anger is by never complimenting them. Your child needs your approval and encouragement in the things that they are good in just as much as they need correction in the things that they're not. Another way that you can provoke or anger your kids is by excessive or inconsistent discipline. Pressuring your kids to pursue your goals instead of allowing them to pursue their own. You know, provoking them because you have a lack of standard or boundaries. Or fathers, this one could be really tough for us. We could provoke our kids by failing to show affection. You know, last week we talked about how Paul was saying, um, husbands, love your wives. He's commanding us to do that because that's not something natural for us guys to do. We're not just natural people who just show love. We could show respect, but we don't show love very well. And so, Paul, another way that we could provoke them is by not loving your kids. Listen, I tell my boys every single night that I love them and that I'm proud of them. And at least once a week, I try to encourage them in something that I feel like they're trying in or something they're working really hard at. And there are times that I tell them that I love them or I'm proud of them. And you know what? I see a big old smile come up. I see them kind of maybe puff out their chest a little bit and walk around. And then the other one's like, well, I could do that too, you know. You know, at at times at night, I'll tell them, you know, hey, I love you. I'm proud of you. I see you're doing this kind of stuff. And sometimes it's what I see. I hear this. (sighs) They breathe a sigh of relief because they know home is a safe place. They know that home, that the world is getting at them and telling them all the things that they're not. And they know that home is a place where they can receive love and affection and appreciation. And listen, this week I read so many different ways that we can provoke our kids to anger. This is just scratching the surface. The list just keeps going on and on and on. But here's the main thing that Paul is trying to teach us here that when we parent like this, when we are provoking our children, our kids are getting mad at us and they are getting angry at us, and it is justifiable because we've either overstepped our bounds and misapplied the principles of Scripture in how we're parenting them. Listen, parents, you, God has given you your children as a gift, and you have to, and you've been given the authority to shepherd and to nurture them to the best of their abilities. Parents love God by not angering their kids. So that's the negative, but then he moves to a positive. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's the final thought for today. Parents love God by training their kids. You love God by training up your kids. You are like the training wheels to your kids, parents. And you know what training wheels do. They keep your kid from falling into the bush or falling into the street. They help teach your kid balance on a bike. And then eventually, training wheels just go off and they just go. Parents, you are like the training wheels. You protect your kids. You keep them from danger and harm. You try to teach them balance in life and then eventually you gotta let them go and watch them ride throughout life. You have to love and guide your children just like God loves and guides us. So, parents, it's not your job to rule and reign with the iron fist. It's your job to bring up your kids. And why do you need to bring them up? Because their natural tendency is to go down. They have a sinful nature. And so, we as parents need to bring up our kids daily. We need to bring them up. And there's two ways that you bring them up one is you get them ready to be an adult, that's your job. Now, that may sound very simplistic, but it's actually very helpful when it comes to making decisions as a parent, because if your primary job as a parent is to bring up your kids to help them become adults, that means that there are other things that just aren't your job. For example, if your primary job isn't, your primary job isn't just to make them behave. Now, hopefully they learn how to behave. We need need kids who do behave because that's part of being an adult, but behavior is not the end goal. Being an adult is the end goal. It's not your job to spoil your kids and give them every comfort in this life. The reality is things cost money. And if you give them everything they ever want in this life, they're in for a rude awakening as they get older, right? And so you cannot give your kid everything they want and everything they ask for. That's not your job. Your primary job as a parent isn't just to make your kid happy. A happy kid is a good thing. We love happy kids. It makes life a whole lot easier. But that isn't your primary goal. In fact, there are going to be things that are going to happen in their adult life that's going to make them the opposite of happy. And your job as a parent is to get them ready for those moments. Your primary job as a parent isn't to protect your kid from every possible negative scenario that's ever going to come their way. As an adult, they're going to to face plenty of hostile situations. And if you never allow them to experience those now, they're not going to know how to handle them when they become adults. Your job is not to prepare the entire world for your child. Your job is to prepare your child for the entire world. And so you need to bring up your kids by raising them up to be adults. But here's the second way. You bring your kids up through discipline and instruction. So what do those mean? Well, discipline means that your kids need to, you need to let them experience the consequences of their actions. As parents, you cannot neglect disciplining your child. Now, the idea is that in some ways, kids have to experience the consequences of their actions. I would say it this way. You got to make sure when you discipline your kids, the, the punishment fits the cry. They can feel connected in some way. Listen, discipline is not fun and it isn't pleasant, but, when you, but you have to do it because it's necessary. And as followers of Jesus, we discipline because it's a reflection of God's character. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how part of God's love for us is that he disciplines us as his kids. He allows us to experience the consequences of our actions, of our decisions, and what we do. Your kids are never going to like discipline. My kids say discipline is stupid. They don't like it. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, because it's purposeful. It's always forming us into something, growing us, maturing us, molding us, shaping us. So just like God disciplines us, we are called to discipline our children as well. Discipline is important because it'll help you raise healthy, functioning human beings. But listen, discipline is also incomplete by itself. And here's why. Because discipline is reactive. You need to be proactive as well. And that's where instructing comes in. See, one of the most powerful ways that you can instruct your kids is by the way that you live your life with Jesus your kids are looking to you for what it means to love, serve, and follow Jesus. If you act as if Jesus is important to your life over time, your kids will pick up on that. Your relationship to your children is the training ground for their relationship with God. You are laying the foundation for your child's relationship with God by the way you relate to your child. And we have this responsibility to mature them in Jesus. You might be thinking, well, how do we do this? Well, glad you asked that question. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Old Testament writer of Deuteronomy, he's talking about uh, this relationship between children and parents. And over the last several uh, chapters, verses, he's been talking about the law and God's law, and he's talking all about it and what it is. And then he finally gets to it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 5. He says, and you, speaking about parents here, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Basically, what he's saying is you need to instruct your children in the regular rhythms of your relationship with your kids. He's not specifically saying you pull out a table, you open up God's word and you say, sit down kids, it's time to learn. Now you can do that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do that. There are times when you probably need to do that. Let me know how that goes. It would not go well in my house. My kids would be all over the place. If you, if you want to instruct your kids, you just got to tailor it to uh, how old they are. For example, when my kids were young, what we often did was we played read, pray and play not necessarily in that order. We would read the story in in the Bible, David and Goliath. Then we would play it out. I was always Goliath, and one of the kids was always David. And then we would pray about the lessons that we learned. You got to instruct your kids. But listen, what he's getting at more is the regular rhythms of your life with your kids. And he gives us some practical examples. He's like, hey, when you're just hanging out at the house, talk about what God has done how he's moved in your life, what he's doing in your life, when you're on the road. Listen, for us, that is when we have the most captive audience. We don't have to force it. Our kids just naturally come up with questions. They naturally just want to know some things. They got some time to kill, so we're just waiting to do it. They'll hear something on the radio or whatever, and they start asking questions. When, guess what? You can even show the grace of God to all the other idiots on the road, and they'll notice that as well too, all right? But it's when you're on the road, just have those conversations. Teach your kids. When they go to bed and when they get up, basically sunrise to sunset, 24-7, 365. Parents, in the regular rhythm of your life, you are to be instructing. You are to be training your kids in the truth of God's word. Seize every opportunity to instruct your kids on who God is, what he's done, how he's working in your life. You need to build those habits now by prioritizing the right things for your kids. Because listen, they pick up on more than you realize they pick up on. You cannot lead what you do not live long-term. You cannot lead your kids somewhere where you're not living. So would your kids look at your life and say, Jesus is important to mom and dad? Or would they say, no, not that important. We just go on a Sunday every now and then. What would your kids say? Parents love God by training up their kids. You bring them up to be adults. And then you bring them up by disciplining and instructing them. And the end goal is what I love what John says in 3 John chapter 1. He says, there is no greater joy than to see that my kids are walking in the truth. Love what First Chronicles 28 says. It's David is on his deathbed and he's talking to his son Solomon and he tells Solomon, hey, you've got to know who God is. You've got to love God. You've got to serve God. You've got to follow hard after the Lord. Know who your maker is. Listen, parents, you can leave an inheritance and that's good. You can leave your good name and that's good. But the la- lasting legacy that you will ever leave your kids is a spiritual legacy. And that's the most important legacy that you can leave your kids. Amen. Now, I know for some of us, we might hear some of these things, and we might want to hang our heads in shame. We might already feel like we're failing, and this message in this text only confirms what we were already feeling. But let me tell you one part of parenting that we often forget, and that's repentance. You need to model repentance to your kids. As a parent, it's important to model the right things, but it's also important to model the way you respond when you do things wrong. See, if you lash out to your kids one day, you just need to pull them aside, sit them down and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You and your spouse are arguing and you're saying some things and the kids overhear it. You need to sit them down. You need to say, hey, listen, we said some things we shouldn't have said. And you heard it and we're sorry for that. You shouldn't talk like that. We shouldn't have talked like that. If you feel like today you're failing, you need to sit your kids down. And you need to say, listen, I'm sorry. I haven't led you right. I'm sorry that I haven't been the best that I could be or led you the way that you need to be or whatever it is. You need to teach them how to apologize because if you don't apologize, you don't model that repentance, your kids are going to grow up thinking that being an adult is never owning up to your mistakes or worse, that being an adult is saying or doing awful things and that it's just okay. You never have to apologize for it. But if you're willing to model repentance in front of your kids, you're going to raise a child that no matter what happens in their life, they're gonna feel comfortable repenting around you because you're a safe person to do that with because you've created that environment. Listen, parents, you can be a safe place for your kids to be broken around. And that's something you can always be as a parent. And the only way that you can do that is by knowing that God is a safe person to be broken around as well. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God, with his arms open wide, as our heavenly father says, come to me, talk to me. I give you rest, peace, joy, comfort, love, grace, mercy. Let's talk about it. And when you understand that, you then as a parent can look at your kids. You say, come to me. Let's talk about it. It's not the end of the world. You can find joy, peace, comfort, security right here in my arms. Parenting is tough. It's not for the weak. You parent with your blood, sweat, fears, and at times there are some tears, right? Parenting is very hard, but it's also very rewarding. You could do everything right as a parent, and that doesn't guarantee how your kids are going to turn out. But God hasn't given you that job. But listen, God does have a promise for you That is, you are faithful to do your role and your responsibility, as you are faithful in that, God has a promise for you, and it's in Galatians 6. And it says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. See, God graciously equips us with the strength we need to be the parents he wants us to be. And what's even better that he offers us a promise if we just keep at it. If you just keep at it, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be perfect, but keep at it. As you keep at it, there's a reward at the end. The reward is the joy that you get to see of your kids loving other kids. Why? Because you first love them. It's the joy of seeing your kids accomplish certain things, excel in certain areas. Why? Because you encouraged them. You were the loudest and the biggest cheerleader in their life. There's a joy of leading them to accept Jesus into their hearts as their personal Lord and Savior. When we are diligent to spread the goodness of God into the lives of our children, he is faithful to bring a harvest. And so parents, it's tough. I asked Brody, uh, my oldest son, I said, what's the toughest job in the world? He said, your job. And I said, thanks for noticing. (laughs) (laughs) Said <laughs> you, but I said, I appreciate it. But the truth is parenting is one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have, but it is the most rewarding. Keep at it. Keep going because there is a reward at the end. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.